Welcome to Top of Mind, a podcast about mental health. I'm your host, Zora, and this podcast is brought to you by Limbic. Mabel Newman is the Project and Administration Lead at Living Well Consortium. She led on the implementation of Limbic for their NHS Talking Therapy Service and IAPTUS, their data system. She's also been involved with the launch of Grounded and the creation of the VCFSE Mental Health Collective in Birmingham and Solihull. Mabel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Um, I know things must be busy, especially at Grounded, because you're up for a HSJ award. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's all very exciting. Um, yeah. So yeah. tell us about Grounded, and then I want to hear about the HSJ award. Okay. So, well, Grounded started with discussions with other third sector organisations, so specifically Birmingham Mind and Living Well Consortium, which is where I'm from. Um, and essentially they noticed that there's a huge number of people accessing talking therapies in the Selling Oak postcode in Birmingham. And there's also a massive presentation of people showing up at A&E with mental health concerns, suicidal ideation, that kind of thing. Um, and so they saw those numbers. Selling Oak, for people who don't live in Birmingham, is the student area. So it's right next to UOB. Um it's predominantly students. I think it's, I, I don't know the exact stats, but like last time I spoke about it, it was like 90% or something like that. It's very high student ratio. Um, mm. So they clearly weren't getting enough support from the existing processes and they clearly weren't getting enough support. It just wasn't working for them. So it was like, okay, what can we do? So Grounded came from that. So Grounded is a wellbeing space. It doesn't look like your traditional mental health space. It doesn't have the same pathway and the same barriers to entry as a traditional mental health space. So yeah, the NHS funded that. They said, yep, yeah, no, this is great. This sounds great. And also we want you to do more. So uh, in January this year, we launched Grounded in Selly Oak. And that one's a cafe. We work with Evolve, who are a CIC. And they give people opportunities for employment that otherwise wouldn't have any. So it's a CIC-owned cafe. Then Living Well during the day hosts um, workshops and wellbeing activities. So some of those are clinical. So we do clinical groups. People can go there for their one-to-one -one therapy, that kind of thing. But the other side of it is very much wellbeing focused. So we have craft sessions. This week there was someone painting those baubles. You could go paint baubles and there was like a, a wreath exercise, like a wreath. Fantastic. Which was very fun, went down very well. Um, and then you have things like yoga. We have yoga three times a week. There's a personal trainer who comes, all sorts. We have talks on like kind of healthy eating, how to food shop on a budget. Um, we have career talks with Katie Bard, who are an agency in Birmingham, come and do talks on kind of careers and CVs and that kind of thing. Um, and it's all very much tailored to students. We have complete control over that, which is exciting. I think it's funded by the NHS and the NHS is super supportive of it and they are really into what's happening. They really want this to work. But the NHS are limited by the fact that they have all these structures. They have to be consistent across the UK. So what you have is the luxury when you're like in the third sector, if you're a VCFSE organisation, you have the opportunity to try new things and that's what we get to do with Grounded. So we can go, so for example, if something doesn't go down very well, 
um, or it doesn't seem to be having as much of an impact, we can change it up. So next semester, we're trying some kind of quite different things. Um, we've got flower arranging. As well as like, the yoga that's staying, we've got flower arranging. We're doing some stuff on manifestation um, because like a lot of students are quite into kind of star signs and more holistic approaches. So we're doing a lot of things on that. We're doing some work on self-love. So for like Valentine's Day, we're having a self-love workshop. All of these completely free to access for students. I think there's like a small cost for some things that are expensive, like the baubles. You mm -hmm. kind of pay a small fee to contribute, but it's all completely free. The only thing you pay for is the coffee. So yeah, it's, it's exciting. Um, we launched um, the Selly Oak um, Grounded in July and it's been going strong ever since. Regular turn up. A lot of clients helped. We have our own pathway to talking services so we can see how many people are coming in. It's really neat. And then in January, on Blue Monday, which is the 16th, we're opening a second one in Hall Green. Um, Hall Green is one of the most underrepresented areas in mental health in Birmingham. Um, so the numbers of people accessing support are ridiculously low. And that's not because everyone in Hall Green are perfectly mentally healthy. Um, there's a lot of stigma in communities in Hall Green. Um, we're working with a lot of schools um, we're working with local GPs and local organisations to try and break that stigma. But we're also hoping that by having a space that people can enter that isn't clinical, that isn't a GP, that people don't see you walking in there and know that you're going in there for health support, that people are more willing to try and to access. Right. So it's not going to be a cafe. It's going to be more of a community hall but it's still beautiful. It's still super Scandi and like beautiful colours and it's not, it doesn't look like an NHS space. It doesn't look like a GP. Still, it's really, really nice environment. Yeah, gorgeous. Like mm -hmm. it's it's the same colour scheme as the other places, like lots of greens and woods and velvets and it's stunning. Um, So that's going to be going live in 16th of Jan. And we're going to have the workshops and wellbeing events. And we're going to have one of our providers, Cognitive Wellness, are going to be there to like all of the opening hours. So anybody could walk in at any time and get support instantly. They can get a triage appointment. If they can't get it right there, if it's busy, they can book in for one very quick turnaround. If there's someone in crisis, we can support. It's not a crisis centre. I do need to make that super mm -hmm. clear. Um, we have an element of that, uh, the Selly Oak which is in the evenings um, between 5 and 11, three days a week, Birmingham Mind run like an emergency support space. But during the living well operating hours, um, it's not crisis support, but we can help people get to where they need to go for crisis support, if that makes sense. And it'll be the same at Hallgreen. So, yeah. Wow. So with the, with the cafe, the stigma's removed because you could be going in just to have a coffee. Yeah. You could be just having a coffee or with the whole green one, um, we're going to be doing a lot of like family stuff. So like mother and child, um, fathers, um, like crafts, yoga. So you could just be going in to do yoga. Like nobody knows you're not. You could just be going in to have a cup of tea somewhere warm. Um, you could just be going in to go to a wreath making workshop. Like, you know, so hopefully if it becomes a space that the community feel comfortable accessing, um, the whole green community, then that next step is less daunting because you have those relationships. You've built those relationships with the community. So you're somebody who's trusted within that community. Right. 
So then is the idea of the the crafts and the yoga and the training, healthy eating, all that sort of stuff to make the space a very welcoming space and a space that you would generally go to? So if you're a student hanging around in the area, you would go by there, you'd maybe go there for some courses with your friends, that sort of thing. But then also, if you did need some clinical treatment, you would be able to get it there as well. Yes, but also an extension of that, well, it's research shows that well-being activities positively affect your mental health. If you mm-hmm. do exercise, if you're doing crafts, if you've got a social circle around you, your well-being is improved. So all the activities are also aimed to improve people's well-being because if people's well-being is higher, then their mental health needs are often lower because they've got a support network. They've got a routine of things that bring them joy and bring them health. Um, so a large part of it is that. A large part of it is actually preventative care. Right. So preventative care and you're basically increasing their protective factors, improving their well-being so that they don't get to step two, for example. Exactly. So Mm -hmm. then if they need support, we can also then get them in earlier. So say if somebody shows up, like to give an example, if somebody shows up to like yoga and they're showing low levels of anxiety, they might not have thought to go to the doctor before when they're just kind of having low levels of anxiety. But if you let that low level fester, that's going to become a high level of anxiety right so actually if we have somebody come in and they access this space because they want to come and do yoga they want to come and do a craft that gives them things to get out of the house for um gives them quite a bit of routine it gives them an activity that builds up those endorphins has them around people all of which are prone to improve anxiety and then you also have the clinical people on staff who can then notice those signs and can kind of go oh you know we do offer this, or there's all the signs around the space where you can access with a QR code your own information, and you can then get into it early. So we can have somebody have a word with them. They can have a chat. They can do their triage there and then, or like that week over the phone, or they can do it in person, however they want to do it, and we can get them into support. And rather than it being high-intensity CBT they need, they might need low-intensity CBT, and their recovery chances are much better because if you get in earlier, the the science shows that you are more likely to get significantly better. So prevention is so important. And I I think a lot of people in the sector would agree that since especially like COVID, a lot of it's been firefighting. It's been trying to take people who are at crisis point and bring them down. What we want to do is as well as doing that, because obviously that's very important, we want to prevent people from reaching that point who haven't already. Absolutely. It makes so much sense, doesn't it? And I'm just wondering, I know it's only been running for a few months, but is there sort of an evaluation taking place? I'm just wondering whether, since you you mentioned there are sort of high rates of attendance in A&E for mental health issues, I wonder if this has made a difference. Maybe it's too soon to tell. Is there there an evaluation running? There is going to be. So there's, um, we're working with the NHS to check those numbers, but it's too soon to tell, especially with the student um, landscape. So student mental health because they're gone for like six months of the year and we've been running for about six months actually three months of those um we didn't have as high levels of students you know you've got to and you've got to balance it around the stress of the year as well so like exam season is quite a big turnout for mental health concerns so until we've gone through an exam season can we really measure that success so the plan is to do it kind of yearly um and combine it there regardless we know it's a success most of the sessions we're running are completely booking out um, and we're having full attendance. There's constantly people in the cafe. There's 
a lot of referrals that have come through just through Grounded and who knows we'd have got them before. Um, Limbic is a pretty significant factor in that since we launched it because there's an issue with a lot of the time the NHS won't accept clients if they um, if they are not registered to a GP in the CCG, or it's not CCG anymore, in the ICB you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and students for Birmingham are an exception. We can take students from Birmingham, but students don't know that because they weren't told. And also, if you call up and you don't tell them you're a university student, how are they supposed to know? And they check the um, postcode. You're not registered to the right GP. Sorry, we can't help you. Not that we don't Uh want to, but if you're not given the right information, you can't. Whereas with Limbic, we're able to identify that people are registered at the University of Birmingham. We can skip through that whole NHS spine check and actually get them that support a lot easier. So it's actually increased the number of students we get to see. That's great. And how do you reach them in the first place? So in Grounded, we have on each table, we have information. We have like a little leaflet. We have posters up and around the back of the toilets. We have resources. Um, It's very much open discussion as well. It's very much an open secret. Like mental health is part of every single thing in Grounded. The yoga, it talks about it. Um, The craft sessions talk about it. Our website talks about it. It's not shoved in your face, but everything is just has that well-being element. Um, The affirmation wall, like that has a whole sign next to it about kind of how positive words can like build up your mental health, you know? So it's such an intrinsic part of the space that anyone who walks through that door is unable to not think about it. Um, then we've done a lot of press. We've done a lot of work with, we've recently had the MP of the area come in and he wrote about it in the paper. We're working closely with the university. So we're not affiliated with the university, but they're aware of us and they're kind of sending people to us. Local GPs. Um, mm. we've met, met with all of those and they're all aware so they can send people to us if they're having a rough time or for services they think that they'll find useful they can like send them over um, so it's basically just communication it's making sure the space is clear about what it is and that we involve it in every element of it but then also communicating with all of the amazing services around us because no one can do it on their own like living well can't do this on their own grounded isn't the main thing it's part of the puzzle and so as long as we're working with all of those other orgs then it becomes part of the the mental health space in that area that was something i was wondering about actually because living well consortium is a consortium so you've got lots of different organizations working together and one thing i was thinking around if i wanted to replicate if i was at a service that wanted to replicate something like grounded or the offering that you have sort of place-based interventions and that sort of thing how would I go about it? And I wondered whether your structure as a consortium is maybe what helps you do that. Is it? Could could a service also set something like this up? I think in order for a service like this to be successful, you need to have a large, I'm trying to think of the right word, like a large network. It's not something an individual service could do. Mm-hmm. We're not doing it on our own. You know, with Sally Oak, it's Birmingham Mind, it's Evolve, who are one of our members. And then we've got all of the people who are doing the workshops are all different people. We've got BCAT, which is Birmingham Creative Art Therapy. They're one of our members. 
We have, like like I said, we're working with Katie Bard, who's an organisation that does the career stuff. Mm-hmm. We have, um, we're working with everyone, different yoga teachers. We have someone who comes in just to do knitting. Like, it's a massive network of connections just for this one space. And then that space wouldn't work if the university didn't want to work with us and the GPs didn't want to send people our way. And our providers, our Living Well members didn't also publicise it. If, if, And even people not in any way related to us. So I was at a meeting the other week about Hall Green and we got invited to a session by a primary school who were looking to um, in- decrease the stigma in mental health and wellbeing in their students and in the parents of the students. So we got invited to this and there, as well as us, we had um, Birmingham Mind had a rep. We had the Hall Green NSS, which is a neighbourhood schemes who do mm-hmm. kind of um, like supported housing, supported clothing, food banks. Um, they they kind of very much link everybody together. And we had the um, an NHS team there, and they're not they're not in any way involved, right, in the creation of Hall Green. They're not involved in the maintenance and the running of it. But all of them want to use that space as a tool for their clients. I think if you don't have other organisations supporting you who want the same thing as you and they're not willing to, they don't care about the lines, they don't care about who's getting the funding, they don't care about where that client ends up as long as that client is ending up in the right space. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that, it's not going to work. It's a collaborative space and we need a collaborative system to make that work yeah so I think you don't have to be a consortium but I think you do need to have a strong network of people who want to be involved and want to support the project and want to utilize it for their clients because otherwise you're gonna have a space with nobody in it yep I think that's the most important bit absolutely and do you have any sort of of stories I guess is what I'm looking for obviously anonymized but of people who might not have been able to get onto a pathway otherwise but you've picked up at Grounded? Well, the major one is the students. Like I said, like yeah. making it super clear that they can access this and then having a way to, like, because a lot of them would assume they wouldn't be able to as well. Like a lot of the time, if you aren't registered with a GP and you're told you have to call your home GP, why would you think mental health would be any different? Like there's no reason you'd think that. Um, so we're actually making them aware. We've also had several people in the community who... Um, are older so in Sediac you have also quite a few like elderly people um, who have come in and they come in every day and they come in and they access support and they access community and isolation and so they wouldn't have picked up because they like elderly people often don't there's a lot of stigma there so actually having people enter a space where they probably normally wouldn't have that's great and we're picking up people who we wouldn't have picked up every day by the difference in style. So living well primarily pre-grounded, our main bread and butter is NHS talking therapies. So that's very structured, right? That's very, you enter the service, you have this many sessions, you leave, which is brilliant. And we're still doing, and it's still a really core part of our service. But that's not doing the light touch. That's not doing the things that keep people well or keep people more well. Um, so every day we have people coming into these courses that we previously would never have like never run. That's new people getting to access stuff in the space. There's nothing like it in City. There's nothing like it in Birmingham. So 
every person who accesses anything at Grounded are accessing something that they never would have accessed anyway. Have you seen an increase in uh, referrals to talking therapies from people who are older? Um, oh, I know that's the target for this year. I'm not sure from Grounded alone. Um, mm-hmm. I'd have to check the stats on that. But I can say we've seen a massive increase in student referrals, which was the outset. Because um, we've checked those against the numbers. I asked Limbig to check that this morning, actually. And I was like, guys, how many have we got? And actually, it's it's an, it's very much increased. So our target demographic has increased. And we're hoping that, so we, with the Hall Green one, most people in Hall Green are Southeast Asian families. So we're hoping there might be an increase there. And eventually we're opening one in the centre, which we're hoping will target the working unwell and kind of that environment. So there's a goal for each place. And I know that the goal of increasing referrals from students in Zellioke is up, which is the goal. Anything else is just an amazing byproduct that we love. Um, But yeah, I'm not sure. Positive side effects are always a good thing, aren't they? Love a positive side effect. Congratulations on the HSJ Award nomination. That is super cool. Really deserve all the recognition you can get. Thank you. Definitely. Great, great honour and great team. Um, Definitely deserved, especially for the grounded team. Absolutely. I hope it's a good night out as well. I bet it will. Those things always are. (laughs) They are. They are. So, uh, Mabel, just kind of moving away from grounded for a second, I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about your journey in talking therapies and how you got to being um, the clinical project manager at Living Well. Look, um, at the beginning. So I was, I previously worked in NHS audiology services. So a lot of NHS contracts, I worked for kind of a private contractor for NHS audiology. And then the pandemic happened and I got furloughed and I got made redundant. All very sad, all very common, I think, at the time. And Living Well was hiring. And I always wanted to work in mental health. Mental health is very important to me as somebody who has family, but also myself. Um, I've gone through a lot of mental health issues. So always very important. And I came in as an admin. So I came in at the entry level and I've worked in pretty much at this point every sector within living well. So I came in as an admin on a Shropshire contract we ran and I talked to clients. I arranged all of their sessions. I handled crisis clients and got them through to clinical teams, did all of the bookings, did all the scheduling, all of that kind of thing. And then I moved on to a Birmingham contract and then I moved into central administration. So I started working on projects then and it started with kind of like smaller scale, like HR projects, that kind of thing. And it slowly has just increased as things have come up. And I really found my stride, I think, with the IAPTIS project we did. So we launched a new data system and I was heavily involved in that. I was part of the lead of that. And I just realised that actually, I always say that with the mental health sector, there's two ways you can make a massive impact. And I think a lot of people see the first way when you're being the therapist, right? You're on the front line, you're seeing it all happen. You are talking to those clients, you are doing the work, but none of that could work if you didn't have the operations behind it. You need people to create those structures to keep people safe and keep the clients safe and make sure resources are being used effectively and make sure that the funding's there and that the applications are in and health and safety's done and that we've not missed anything and nobody's slipping through the net. And that's what I do. So I 
get put on a project and I do that. But then also I cross post it with every area of the business. I'm working with finance. I'm working with um, the marketing team. I'm working with the clinical team. I'm working with central administration. I'm working with the admins. I'm working with the NHS. I'm working with the ICB to make sure that everything we do is the best it can be. And it's the most useful way we can do it and that we're maximizing our resources and we're maximizing the money to help as many people as possible. Um, so yeah, I've been doing project work and working specifically on clinical projects for about 18 months now. And I love it. Um, so we've just wrapped up on our last one. So I'm now helping with kind of the clinical side of the grounded stuff for the whole green launch, as well as a couple of other things and a bit of an admin overhaul. But it's exciting. Um, but yeah, that's and what's the best thing about your job? Getting to see something through. It's stressful. Anyone who works in project-related work will always say there's like massive periods of stress. But being able to see an idea form and see that all the way through to helping people is so rewarding. It's so, you don't just get to see part of the process. You get to see every part of it. And I get to see, I don't see those clients face-to-face. -face. I get to see their numbers and I get to see how it was before and I get to work on this whole thing and then afterwards I get to see how it is afterwards and numbers don't lie I can see where the impact's happening I get personal testimony I speak to everybody so actually getting to see the impact of your work is I think something you don't often get to do so it's really rewarding to see that and it's worth all of the stress I think oh that's a, that's an interesting one because at the kind of highest point of stress when things are really really difficult I guess that's a good thing to keep you going knowing that actually you're making an impact exactly like there's always when you have a deadline if you have a deadline there's stress like I don't think it's possible to have a deadline without there being stress but agreed seeing it work is just great like it was like that with grounded like when when everyone was in the midst of putting up furniture and setting up like setting up the appointment system was it took us months to get the correct system for booking sessions and all of that. When we were in this session, this period of like a month of just chaos, it felt like it was never going to end. And then now I get to go in on Monday and I get to go visit the team at Grounded and I get to see a bunch of people smiling and accessing yoga and I get to see a bunch of baubles drying in the corner and I get to look at that space and be like, I was a part of creating that and everything that happens in that space beyond that is partially due to what you've done. And I just think that's really rewarding. Like getting to see that kind of lasting effect is is great. Very fulfilling. Yeah, very fulfilling. I love it. I love my job. Just going back to the um, project you were just talking about, installing IAPTUS in the organisation. We're all a bit NHS Talking Therapies obsessed. So I have to ask, um, of course, Putting in a new EPR is uh, is difficult. It's always a big job. There's data migration to do, things like that. But how was it working on the IAPTUS project there? It was great. It was chaotic. Like you said, like working with that scale of data, because we we'd been on our previous system for at that point, like four or five years. Like that immense amount of data, making sure that's not lost, but also making sure and making sure it's compatible with the system, but also making sure we're able to update the system because there's no point moving if you're keeping it exactly the same. And what we wanted when we moved to IAPTIS is to be able to create more information. We wanted to be able to collect more information about clients. We wanted to be able to run more reports. We wanted to be able to go into the real nitty gritty of who's using our service and how we can then help them. 
and what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. And so there was no point doing it if we were just going to keep it the same. So actually balancing that amount of data that had to come over, because we get a lot of people who kind of come back after, you know, if you've got, if you have data from five years ago, we want to still be able to access that if a client comes back, it's medical stuff, but also you've got to handle all of the GDPR and all of that elements. So it was so, it was so much information to make sure we made it clear. And it's then a bit more confused by the fact that Living Well is such a diverse organization. Like we have a CYP pathway, we have IAP pathway, but on the IAP pathway, we also have long-term condition services and we had a COVID service and we have um, anger management. And we have, I know when we were working with IAP just to create our care pathway, it was one of the most complicated care pathways they'd ever done because we had to have about 25 options for places wow. people could be referred it to because the amount of stuff we offer. So it was a really complex project, but every moment of that complexity and the team were brilliant, it, we managed to make it into the service that, works really clearly so it's very intuitive um it's not when you first start using it if you're used to another system you have a moment where you're like I don't know what this means but as soon as you kind of get into it and you actually forget that other systems are confusing um the care pathway is super clear to use we have these clear stages you can go down um we can indicate if we started an employment advice service recently whereas people in our care can get employment advice kind of things like um, how to get into employment, but also how to protect yourself, your rights in employment. If somebody's treating you rubbishly because of your mental health, how can you advocate for yourself? So we now have, we've just made that change to make it so that um, we have a whole separate pathway for the EA service. So yes, very complicated, but very worth it in the end, because now we have a service, we have a system that reflects the complexities of living well, that's out of our brains in a way that's really nice because before it was kind of just, it was all in clinical's brain and we knew what we were doing, but the system couldn't keep up with us. Whereas now we have a system that keeps up with us and keeps up with the dynamicism of kind of living well and what we're doing and the talking therapy service. It was a big project. I can imagine. How long was it? God, how long? About seven months. Wow. Yeah, about seven months plus monitoring. So... Yeah. Um, we then monitored it for seven months afterwards and then there's constantly changes as well like when the EA comes into play we have to do that recently and that was like a, quite a big change and when Limbic we started using that we had to connect those together so the actual implementation project was about seven months plus monitoring time um, but then it's constantly going and developing and growing which I think a good data system should I think especially for talking therapies because it's so changeable. For sure. And did IAPTIS enable you to see reports and things that you hadn't been able to do? Like, I'm just thinking maybe a better way of phrasing this question is using IAPTIS, were you able to find insights that you hadn't seen before? Oh, yeah, definitely. So we previously had a custom-built service, but it was limited um, and we grew very quickly. So what was built for us was actually built for a much smaller organization. And now we see so many more people. It just wasn't fit for purpose for us anymore. Um, whereas with IAPTIS, we can now go, okay, so say I want to see everybody who's in the awaiting triage stage, who is age 65 and above and is presenting with anxiety. I can now search all three of those together and get that report. 
I can find pretty much the most specific thing you'd ever need. I could find someone from a specific postcode um, who's part of a specific GP, who's got a specific religion and um, is looking for specific support. Like, I can re- we can really go into the nitty-gritty, which is brilliant. Like, we can look at areas, so we can look at kind of around this area. We can look at around this area via postcodes and GP practices, and we can actually find um, people who we want to contact in those areas for specific support. We can compare, like, ADSM scores. We can compare um, all your major minimum data sets. So a lot more insight and a lot more specific and accurate data. Um, Nobody falls through, which I think is a real important part because before we were kind of limited and we could say, oh, how many people are in this area? And that's what we got. But I couldn't go that many people in this area. I'd have to, we'd have to do the numbers ourselves, which was a lot of work and not feasible. So yeah, a lot more information. Sounds great. Sounds great. So I've asked you about um, the kind of positives and the best things about your job. I'm going to ask you about the worst things about your job. What's the What's the thing you find most difficult? I think sometimes, I think a lot of people, like when you're working in a clinical field and you're not clinical, a large part of your job is bridging that gap. A large part of it is clinical staff are clinical staff because they are trained and they've done all this, these years and years and years of study. And so their job is to protect risk. Their job is to protect the client. Their job isn't to think about what's feasible. Their job is to think about what's needed. And I think the hardest part of working with clinical staff, if you are an operations, in an operations role, is balancing that with what is feasible. And between the two of you becoming to an agreement or the two teams coming to an agreement of what is doable and what is feasible, but what can have the biggest impact. And I think walking that line can sometimes be challenging. I think having two sets of people coming at it from a completely different approach, you've got to be really thoughtful and I think really intentional about what is important and what isn't important and what might not seem important to you or what might not seem important to them actually might be critical to the other person so I'd say that's probably the hardest bit is like finding that middle line but then when you find it that's where great stuff happens so it's worth it but it's tricky getting there you kind of almost have to scrape away at it until you find it and then making sure that that's maintained and making sure that you can keep that consistently that balance so people don't burn out and the service doesn't burn out but also we're not underutilizing and we're not having risks. I think that's the hardest bit, just balancing those two. Finding that sort of sweet spot between what clinical needs and what service can provide. And what clients need as well. Like what clinical want is to look after clients. And we know now there's all of this red tape and that red tape's there because of things have gone wrong. And it's balancing that without being heartless. Like you need to be able to see yes this thing I don't you don't want to be the kind of person in operations who sees oh this service is only helping 20 people let's cut it like that 20 people those 20 people this could be saving their lives you know so you've got to balance the numbers and the data and the practicalities with the 
the need of those clients. And it's a real juggling act. Like there's only ever so many resources. So you've got to make sure that you are putting those in the right place. So yeah, it is, it's a tight line, but I think it's it's worth all of the effort putting into it, but it, it can be tricky. Sure. Okay, so if I am working at a talking therapy service and I'm interested in creating something that's place-based, any sort of communities of practice or anywhere apart from coming to talk to you, Mabel, anywhere else I can go to learn a bit more? So we have a website um, with a bunch of information about Grounded on it, which is www.groundedcafe.co.uk. We also welcome visitors. So we've had several people come and visit and come and see kind of what's going on and ask questions. So that's very much encouraged. Otherwise, there's gen- there's quite a few wellbeing cafes around the country. They're not clinical wellbeing cafes, but they're wellbeing cafes. So if you want to get an idea for a space like that, I highly recommend searching your area, wellbeing cafe. I know there's some amazing ones in Manchester. Um, there's some brilliant ones in London. I believe there's an amazing one in Brighton. So there's a lot of um, those that aren't doing the clinical approach, but are doing the kind of community support approach. And also think about it a bit differently. It doesn't have to be viewed as the cafe. Think of your community spaces and what works. Churches, schools, all of those kind of things have this massive community hub that are trying to do the same thing. So think about kind of what they're doing and how that could be taken further and how your organisation could support in that and fill in those gaps. You don't have to think about it too literally, I think. So just access areas in your local community as well and get that idea. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Mabel. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk today. And I'll see you soon. Thanks for having me. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this conversation. You can find out more about Mabel and Grounded using the links in the episode description. You can find episodes, links and more at the podcast webpage at limbic.ai forward slash top of mind.